Hey everybody, this is Luna Tan, and this is Dwayne Paris. You are listening to Clubotech Publishing Radio. Here we talk about what's happening in the publishing industry today, share stories and insights from publishers, and discuss how we can shape the future of publishing. Welcome to the twenty-fourth episode of Clopotech Publishing Radio. I'm Luna, and this is Dwayne. This month, we are thrilled to have Scott Hoffman with us on the show here. Scott Hoffman is president and CEO of International Literary Properties, or ILP for short. With a strong background in publishing and literary management, Scott has been advocating on behalf of authors for over fifteen years. Including most recently as co-founder of a major New York City-based literary management firm, his publishing experience, contacts, and vision are integral in ILP's strategy to provide financial certainty to authors and their heirs in a rapidly changing publishing environment, while maintaining integrity and creative vision of their creators. Hi, Scott. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Wonderful.、Um, just a couple of days ago, I opened the homepage of ILP's website, and I saw an outstanding line of words that says "trusted stewards of literary legacies," followed by a quote of Christopher Paul Curtis: "In the right hands, words can move more bricks than the strongest team of mules." Maybe we can start from here, and you can. Tell us more about ILP's area of expertise, and tell us how it all started. Sure, I'm happy to do that. At ILP, the core of what we do is acquire copyrights and cash flows from living authors and the estates of authors who have passed away. We're all people who've got books very deeply in our DNA, and our goal is to make sure that these very successful, very popular works. Continue to grow, continue to find new audiences now, and that they can delight people for、uh, for generations to come in the future. The idea for ILP came about from several of us. There are five of us who founded the company. My background is, as you mentioned, in the book business. I was a literary agent for quite some time, built a practice, and as I started to see my clients' royalties come in after their advances had earned out, it was very interesting to me that in many cases they were、um, they were quite sizable. And were and were relatively steady, and so I thought that that was a fascinating state of affairs because of what had been going on in a different industry. In the music publishing industry, there had been a large group of companies and individuals who invested in the royalties that come from music publishing revenue. I don't know if you remember, but、uh, but Michael Jackson bought the Beatles catalog. You had David Bowie who floated those Bowie bonds, and it was interesting to me that you had similar streams of royalties. And I was looking for who was doing the same thing in the book business, and it turns out that nobody actually was, and that was perplexing to me. One of the things that's surprising is that. In virtually every other business on the planet, when you get to the end of a successful career, once you've built something of value, once you've got a lot of fans or a lot of customers or just a, a huge critical mass, somebody else will come along and will reward you for the work that you've done and will take over that legacy. If you're a physician in the United States and you've got a medical practice, at the end of your career, when you're 75 or 80 years old, another group of doctors will likely come along and purchase your practice. If you own a car dealership, some other car dealers may come along and say, "Thank you very much. We really like what you've been able to build here. We really like your team. 
we'd like to purchase your business and and that happens and the and the dealership lives on even even past the original life of the creator and nobody had really been doing that for authors some authors are fortunate enough to have children who really love the family business and want to continue what their parents have done but many don't and uh, and for them some rely on their literary agents but chances are if you are a an older author, 75 years old, 80 years old, uh, you've probably got an agent who's, uh, who's one of your contemporaries, and what happens when, when those people are gone? So what we wanted to do at International Literary Properties was to come along and say that we really recognize and appreciate the value that authors have built in writing these books that have been enjoyed by hundreds of thousands or millions of people all over the world, and step in to stand in the shoes of the author to continue whatever their vision was and to make sure that the works live on for decades to come while compensating the authors with uh, significant amounts of cash up front. So when we buy a catalog from an author, when we invest in, uh, in an author's works, we pay, uh, we pay a significant sum up front uh, in exchange for, uh, for the ability to receive some or all of the revenues that those books generate in the future. Uh, in most cases, the checks that we're writing to authors are the largest single checks that they've ever received in their entire lives. And I'm always thrilled to be able to provide someone with what can be life-changing money. It might allow them to set up trusts for their grandchildren to go to college. It might be able to help them buy a house. It might be able to help them take a, a trip around the world and enjoy their retirement years. So I really feel, uh, I feel enormously fortunate and enormously blessed to, uh, to, to be in a position to run this company that is really the only one in the world right now that is managing literary legacies at the scale that we're doing. What you're doing now with this business is the only thing in publishing I can think about thus far, maybe like Copyright Clearance Center, but it seems like you're taking this uh, much higher level than what they were doing with copyrights. Yeah, what we do is we we step in to the shoes of the author. One of the things that we have the luxury of being able to do based on who we are, based on how we're set up, is uh, we only invest in backlist works. We only buy books that have been on the market for at least five years. And many of the books in our catalog have been around for decades. Classics that are beloved the, the world over. So by investing in this backlist, we have this catalog that allows us to do something that I think is game-changing. When I was a literary agent, I had to focus on front list. It was all about doing the next auction. It was all about selling the next book. It was all about how many copies of the, of the novel were being printed and who was getting the co-op space and what kind of advertising was, was being run and were you gonna hit that bestseller list. But at ILP, because we're backlist focused, we have the ability to treat backlist as if it were front list which means that we just we pay an enormous amount of attention to uh, to books that that might not have gotten that level of attention for five years or ten years they probably did when they first came onto the market but publishers also have to be focused on that front list right so they don't have the they, they don't have the bandwidth they don't have the resources to be able to be able to focus on the backlist to do things like put in marketing money to introduce books to a new audience to do things like make sure that uh, with our literary agent partners that all the possible media that these stories can be told in are covered, that all the languages in, in all the world where, uh, where a book can be sold are, uh, are available. And so what we do when we step in and we invest in a property is do, just do a comprehensive audit of where it's been, what's possible, and what might be able to be done with it in the future. And then we use our resources to make those things happen. That sounds great. So. 
you are basically taking the publications that are maybe forgotten or just haven't been introduced to the new audience or the new generation of readers uh, now and, and making it available. Yeah, you, you're just about um, just just about everything that we uh, everything that we get involved in has already been successful to some extent. For us, we try to find books that are already beloved, uh, that have relatively large audiences, and, and then try to make them even bigger. Uh, as much as I would love to try to take uh, to pluck some amazing works out of obscurity and do that with them, that's just too much of an uphill climb. So we focus on the ones that already have a, a strong core fan base, and what we do is is expand that fan base. Excellent. So do you acquire the entire catalog as, as part of this deal or is it one book deal? Every deal that we do is completely different. Books are not widgets. They're not commodities. They can't be treated like other like products. What we do when, uh, when, when we first get involved with an author or with a copyright holder is sit down and have a long, in-depth conversation about what's important to them. Is it important to them to maintain some connection to the property? Do they want their children to have some share of ongoing royalties? Are there creative areas that are particularly important to them? Are there things that they would like to see done with the properties that haven't been done? Or are there things that they want to make sure never get done to the properties? And so in some cases, yes, we do buy 100% of the properties, all the copyrights and the ability to make movies based on them or the ability to do spin-off novels or, or things like that. But very frequently, we will buy a uh, we'll buy a fraction. Uh, some of these states we own ninety percent, and the uh, and the children of the author uh, continue to own ten percent, and and are our partners in that endeavor. Some uh, some estates we own seventy five percent, and uh, and the author who's a living author retains twenty five percent, and we work together with them on everything that we do. So for us, each deal is completely different. And we base what we do and how we structure our deals on the specific needs of the individual author. We're a super author-friendly company. And one of the reasons that we set this up is to solve problems that, that authors have had traditionally. And so in some cases, writing a large check for 100% solves the author's problem the best way. In other cases, taking a fractional ownership share and then uh, and adding a layer of, uh, of the professional kind of management that we do is what the author needs. And, and, and we're happy to do things both ways. I really like how you, how you got inspired by what is happening in the music industry and uh, employ that uh, method into the publishing industry. Maybe you can tell us a bit more about how ILP working in partnership with, with agents, publishers, and TV and the film producers and all the relevant parties, and how ILP position itself in this uh, value-added chain. Sure, that's a great question, and, and that's where a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the misconceptions and a lot of the confusion about who we are and what we do arises. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about literary agents first. Uh, although I come from a literary agency background, ILP itself is not a literary agency, uh, and in fact, we have a uh, a hard and fast policy that whenever we acquire an estate or part of an estate, uh, we take on whoever the incumbent agent is, and they become our agent. We step into the shoes of the author, and the agent continues to do the deals that they would have done for that author. We don't have the capacity in house to be literary agents, we don't have the desire to be literary agents, and we certainly don't have the commercial knowledge uh, of what's gone on with these books 
uh, over over the the length of their existence to be able to do them justice the way that their that their current agents can can do. So, for instance, when we acquired the the George Simonon estate, uh, PFD were the agents, and they continue to represent us on that estate. When we acquired the estate uh, of the catalog of uh, of Ed and Rebecca Emberley, Avitas were the agents, and Rick Richter at Avitas continues to uh, to represent us on that property. When we acquired the George Ed Hayer catalog, Peter Buckman at uh, at Ampersand was the agent, and he continues to represent us. So from the agency side, we think that it's really, really crucial to have fantastic agent partners who can interface with the publishers and other uh, and, and other licensees to do deals that are the lifebread of getting these extraordinary properties in front of new audiences. When it comes to publishers, same thing. For us to get involved with a with a project, for us to get involved with a book, or for us to get involved with a catalog, something has to have gone very right, right? And that story inevitably involves the creator, the author. It surely involves, in, in most cases, at least in the United States, a, a literary agent who's done a good job. And then it involves a publisher who's done a, uh, a very good job as well in making sure that the uh, that the books get out there uh, to, to places where people buy books and that they you know that they walk home and are read and enjoyed. So everything that we do complements agents and publishers rather than takes the place. We're not trying to disrupt the publishing industry. We're just trying to add another option for authors. Occasionally, we do have interesting relationships that are they're beneficial to the books, that are beneficial to the agents. Uh, we're particularly strong in film and television. Uh, ILP's UK CEO, uh, UK and Europe CEO, is a woman named Hillary Strong. She's got an absolutely fascinating background. She's, uh, she's one of the founders of the company. And before she did this, she was chief executive officer of the Agatha Christie estate. Uh, and before that, she was uh, a very successful film and television attorney in, uh, in the UK. So one of the things that we bring to the table is a first look deal for the properties that we invest in with BBC Studios and their 14 affiliated in-house production companies. We don't have to take our properties to the BBC to get them made if they're, if they're not the right people for it. But if one of those BBC production companies is the best possible producer to bring a book uh, onto the screen, then we have the option of being able to do that and to do it on a, to do it on a fast track. So everything that we do we hope to add value to all of the other players in the publishing value chain. We want to, to have agents have the ability to do their job more effectively. Uh, we want to have publishers have the ability to sell more copies of the books based on, uh, based on resources that we can bring to the table. And we love working with, uh, with, with all of our publishing partners and uh, all of our agency partners. Can you give us a bit more insight of how you value a piece of literary legacy? So you just mentioned you pitch it to BBC. What are some of the other factors you consider when determining how to select a piece of intellectual property? Sure, that's a great question. So what we do is we primarily look for works that are selling consistently 50,000 units or more a year all around the world. And once we identify those properties, once we begin having a conversation with the, uh, with the authors, we figure out what sort of arrangement the author would most benefit from, and then we uh, we do our we do our valuation accordingly. So, of course, we look at the sales history and the royalty history of whatever the property is. We look at opportunities that might be able to uh, to be brought to the table. Has there never been an ebook version? Has there ever been an audiobook version? Uh, are there opportunities working with an incumbent literary agent to get more translation deals? Can this uh, can this book be uh, be sold in? Korea? Can it be sold in Taiwan? Can it be sold in Japan? And then on the AV side, what else remains? We look at 
things like the length of copyright remaining. So something that, for instance, is going to be in the public domain in 10 years, as you may imagine, uh, is probably going to be uh, less valuable than something that uh, where the author is still alive and you've got uh, at least another 70 years of copyright remaining. We look at trends. Are sales declining or are, in some cases, sales growing? What's going on with the genre that these books are in? So what we do at that point is uh, once we've gotten good information from the author and the author's advisors, we try to assign uh, an economic value to the catalog and then tender an offer to the author and their representatives and hope to come to terms on, uh, on a deal. I think it is fascinating to get to know this, uh, both a good story and a good information from like the rights management point of view. I really like how ILP has been put in practice in uh, investing in and enhancing the uh, estates of authors, how it has been acquiring uh, intellectual properties and at the same time working to maximize the value, but with a very clear focus on how to build a long-term value chain in properties for both authors and uh, heirs. I think it, it is a kind of a, a big feature of ILP really focusing on backlist. At the same time, uh, Scott, I want to know what would be the challenging aspects for a business like ILP that really focus on backlist and the long-term investment mentality, and how would ILP balance out some of the challenges or even risks? Great question. Our biggest challenge to date has really been explaining to people in the existing publishing ecosystem what we do and how we add value. Because we're not agents, because we're not publishers, because we're not scouts, because we're not journalists, it's easy to confuse what it is uh, what it is we actually do. And so going around and talking to the influencers in the industry, explaining our business model, talking about the kinds of checks that we write to authors and how it can be, in, in many cases, life-changing money to them has been one of the greatest challenges. I mean, we've done deals where we've purchased all our parts of catalogs for six figures. We've done seven-figure deals. We've done eight-figure deals. And we've actually got uh, some nine-figure offer on the, on the table right now. We're also combating a history in the publishing industry where people were very reluctant to sell or otherwise disassociate themselves from their copyrights. There have been unscrupulous people in the industry in the past who have come along and have tried to take advantage of authors who in many cases are not, not perhaps the most sophisticated business people who don't necessarily always have great advisors who are, who are right there by their side. And so that to us is, uh, is an injustice that we're trying to remedy in the industry. We're making sure that we always pay a fair price for what we acquire. You know, in some cases, uh, just explaining the way that the arrangement works, because it's different from a publisher advance versus royalty model, different from the way that you might uh, you might sell your house. One of the things that we often talk about when we're explaining what we do to authors and their representatives is to make an analogy to the lottery. So when you go in to buy, let's say, a Powerball ticket, the, uh, the, the prize is a million dollars, and you've got two options. If you win, you can either take that money in 20 equal installments of $50,000, but you're going to be waiting 20 years to get all that money, or you can have a portion of the cash right now. You can have $650,000 or $700,000 in cash right now. And so in, in some respects, we're sort of like the cash option on the lottery ticket for authors who've got royalty streams. 
But it's even a little bit better than that because we assume all the risk. If royalties go down, and in many cases they do go down, that's something that we have to deal with. And in cases where, where royalties go up, or if there is, uh, one of the things that happens very often in the business is that there are tremendous possibilities that can be realized for specific catalogs or specific books or specific authors that are reliant on other people. There may be a book that's under option. There may be a book where there's a stage play being written. And what we do in that case, and this goes a little bit back to the valuation piece as well, is that we very often structure the way that we do, uh, way that we do our investments in, in two components. One is the fixed cash price that we pay whenever we close the deal. Uh, and then after that, we also like to put in, uh, like to put in bonuses if, uh, if good things happen to the properties. If that film winds up being made and sales go up, fantastic. A rising tide is going to lift all boats. We'll make sure that the sellers get compensated for that. We've paid seven-figure bonuses to uh, to sellers, and 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 we're always uh, always happy to pay those bonuses because it means that that everybody wins. But as far as the challenges, it's really just been letting people know that we're here, that we are large enough to do the deals for authors of just about any any size, and to let them know that our motivations are really book based. We're all book people. We all come from a publishing background. And what's most important to us is is seeing these works get into the hands of people who are who are going to love them. That's great, Scott. You're obviously running a great business. You're tapping into an area that no one else has, and you are showing authors or their estates different ways or new ways of generating revenue. Now, has this been? received well by authors or their estates? How has it been received? It is going well. Uh, so to date, we've acquired 35 estates that represent uh, together among them a total of more than 2,000 titles. We're enormously fortunate to be involved with authors like who's, who's part of the ILP portfolio. We've got a significant portion of the Langston Hughes estate. We've got uh, Georgette Hayer. We've got Marjorie Allingham. We've got James M. Kane. We've got the Emberleys, as I mentioned before. We've got uh, an interest in the first 50 books of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. And to be able to work with authors who are as culturally iconic as some of these and, and who, are, who are so commercially successful is one of the things that makes me excited to get up every morning and go into my office and continue to grow this business. Working with the authors, working with their families, uh, seeing the stories get told in new and different ways is fascinating. I'll give you one example of, of one, of the, one of the cool new things that we're doing. So with the Emberley catalog, we've had, uh, we've had all of Ed Emberley's original artwork scanned and digitized, and we've put together a style book so that his characters can be used in new books, can be used in merchandising, can be used for licensing purposes. And then together with Rebecca Emberley, who's Ed's daughter, uh, we're in the process right now of, uh, of selling a brand new, never before seen book in the, uh, in the Big Green Monster series to Little Brown, who's been his, uh, his, his longtime, uh, longtime publisher. So in conjunction with the Emberley family, we're able to continue this legacy and continue these, these extraordinary characters in a way that might be difficult for the authors themselves without the resources we have to be able to achieve. Sounds good, Scott. So now, is there anything else that you would like to share with us that we haven't asked? No, you know, I think this has been pretty comprehensive. I, I should say that we are really looking to actively acquire new properties. And if you know of a, of a catalog or if you yourself are, are an author or a copyright holder or an heir, 
The best way to contact us is probably just send us an email. The best email is for me, which is scott at ilpliterary.com. And we would be delighted to have a conversation with anybody who's got a great literary work. Wonderful. It's always exciting for me to hear this kind of innovative and creative uh, entrepreneurship stories and the stories in the real cases. I think what ILP has been doing to help exploring and enhancing how the classic works and the great authors, their works could be used, be able to bring more uh, revenues up to today has been fascinating. So here is a session that we prepare three signature questions. So if you are ready, we are going to bring on the first one. Let's do it. Then the first uh, just to tell us what's the best way for you to get relaxed. So this is going to sound a little bit like a cliche, but for me, the way that I relax is generally reading a book on a beach somewhere, maybe with a fruity tropical drink in my hand. But one of the things I love so much about books is that it gives you the ability to escape into another world. Uh, it gives you the ability to transcend your own reality and and go someplace that, that, that you might not ever be able to do on your own. So you can be a vampire hunter. You could be a wizard. You could be, uh, you know, you could be a, a soldier in, in World War II. And the ability to be transported there is one of the things that I find tremendously relaxing. And, and it's why I love books so much. This is really enchanting. So do you remember the last read you just had or the last read that impressed you a lot? Oh my goodness. Sure. I, a question like that, that, that's like asking me, uh, asking me which one of my children I, uh, I, I kissed last. Um, I'm right now in the middle of a book that I can't believe I hadn't read it before, but I'm, I'm loving it. Cain and Abel by Jeffrey Archer is, uh, is what's open on my Kindle right now. Uh, I just finished Scott Turow's new book. That was, uh, that was pretty spectacular. And, you know, at any given time, I've probably got, I've probably got four or five different books going. Wonderful. Wonderful to know. So Scott, would you tell us two people in history that if given the opportunity, you would invite to dinner? Sure. That's a great question. One is one of my personal heroes and somebody that I'm enormously fortunate to be involved with at, uh, at ILP. Uh, I would have to go with, with Langston Hughes as one of the most important figures in American cultural and literary history. What Langston Hughes represents is, is to me, the essence of, of everything that is, that is America. Uh, his role in the Harlem Renaissance, the poetry that he wrote, the way that he was able to describe the experience uh, of what he and people like him were going through at a very difficult time in, uh, in American history, uh, and do it, with, do it in a way that was, that was so evocative and so important and so colorful, uh, I, I think that he's somebody who would uh, who would make uh, an extraordinary dinner party guest. Uh, my other vote goes to uh, another historical figure who is directly related to the business. I would probably pick Jock Campbell, who uh, who at the time uh, in the 1950s was the head of the Booker Organization that we now know because the, it's the organization that awards the Booker Prize. Uh, and what's interesting about Jock Campbell is, to the best of my knowledge, He's the first person who ever did what ILP is trying to do. Uh, one of his great friends was Ian Fleming, the, uh, the iconic novelist behind James Bond and, uh, and, and several other beloved characters. And uh, what Campbell did was purchase 51% uh, of the Ian Fleming estate and managed it professionally for, uh, for quite some time. So anything that has to do with the history of publishing 
uh, really, really thrills me. And, and I would, I would love the opportunity to have, to have picked Jock Campbell's brain uh, to find out how he, ha- how he had that conversation with Ian Fleming uh, to figure out what Fleming wound up doing with the, uh, with the, with the fantastic windfall that he got as part of this deal. Uh, and just how he built that organization. Th- those are the things that, that, that really fascinate me and the infrastructure, the characters, the fabric of the publishing business. It, it's, indescribable how important it is to me. Wow. This is really amazing. I appreciate how you shared your VIP list. I think this is um, going to be definitely helpful for audience to get to know you as a person. And then the last question is, uh, could you share one of your favorite phrases? Sure. Uh, I'm actually going to share one of my least favorite phrases, if uh, if that's okay. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, and I'm going to make it on theme for the discussion that we've been having today. Uh, and so the phrase is, you can't judge a book by its cover. Uh-huh. And so for me, for me, as somebody who's, who's dedicated the last 20 years of his life to publishing, I, I think that in a lot of cases, you can actually judge a book by its cover. The cover of a book is so important to letting an audience know that this is a book that's specifically for them, that's going to delight them, is key. And because of the way that marketing is done or is not done in the book business, in some cases, that cover is going to be the best and most efficient way to communicate to the reader that he or she will really love what's, what's, what's in the pages. And so uh, to say that you can't judge a book by its cover, while it may be true factually, for, uh, from the perspective of those of us who work with books professionally, it's a, uh, that's, a, that's a concept that I just can't abide. This is this might be something that the graphic designers don't agree because I recently I see there is a panel organized by BIST about graphic designing and they use this um, they use it don't, don't judge a, uh, we do judge a book by its cover so yeah so it's a lovely use for this question. That's a visual you get the first time. Absolutely, and you know, and you think about uh, you think about you think about books that have uh, that have just absolutely iconic covers uh, that uh, that are that are so intertwined with with, with the words uh, with the words that are in between. I mean, you take you think of something like J.D. Salinger's Catcher in the Rye, and that uh, you know that that extraordinary cover. Um, it's yeah. a cover can really be it, it can be uh, it can be transcendent. Absolutely, I really enjoy today our conversation, dear listeners. This is Scott Hoffman. For more information about international literary properties, the authors and great works it represents, please visit internationalliteraryproperties.com. You can also find the link in the episode note. Thank you again, Scott, for joining us on Kuopotec Publishing Radio. Delightful. Thanks for having me. Subscribe to Kuopotec Publishing Radio in whatever podcasting app you listen to or get this podcast delivered to your inbox by subscribing to Klopatek's newsletter. It's free and easy to sign up. The link is in the episode notes. Special thanks to Nella Klopatek, Marian Belling, Bjorn Berger, Angie Heinrich, Stefan Kaufer, George Logan, and Mark Wintel for making this episode possible. Leave us a message on Twitter, LinkedIn, or email us at podcast at klopatek.com. This is Clopatech Publishing Radio. I'm Dwayne Paris. I'm Luna Tan. Thank you for listening.